0: Rocks and all that
1: sort of
0: thing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? Sold! Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello
1: and uh, welcome to a very special episode of the Mick Wall podcast. Uh, No John Hotton today. Uh, About 50% of the people there will be cheering at that. Harsh. Um, I'm not saying he's divisive. I'm saying he has edge. We want edge. But um, uh, for extra edge, today uh, my co-conspirator is a very old friend of mine uh, and also a, a great writer. Has written for Classic Rock. Uh, Power Play, Bass Guitar Magazine. Um, he's also a political writer, written two uh, extraordinary books, uh, Making Plans for Nigel, which absolutely nailed Nigel Farage, um, but didn't finish him off entirely, unfortunately. Sadly, sadly. Uh, and your first book was Don't Look Back in Anger. That's right. Which was a, a really up-close uh, uh very interesting look at the coal miners' strike and that whole period in British history. Uh, again, really kind of unlike any other book on the subject. Um, but Harry is also, he's a musician and uh, uh, a wonderful, I would say, expert <sighs> on the subject of progressive rock. Ooh,
2: well, you know, you wouldn't often get me channelling Michael Gove here, but I'm going to do that. <laughs> I think the public has quite enough of experts, mate. <sighs>
1: His name is Harry Patterson, and you are about to be delighted
2: too much.
1: Now, Harry, um, when I talk about you as an expert in progressive rock, um, in my mind, I'm going from the 80s.
2: I think that's fair. I mean, you know, you, you talk about experts in progressive rock. I'm looking around thinking, I'm not Jerry fucking Ewing, you know. You've got the wrong guy here. But, yeah, it's a passion. Absolutely a passion. Definitely.
1: And yeah. was your, is it fair to say your entry point was probably Marillion?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Second generation, I guess, you know. Um, 1983, I was 16, um, and I went round to a guy's house. Ashley Hooten, his name was. I was in a band with him at the time. Um, was he said, it
1: a "Progressive rock band."
2: Well, it was it was a nothing band, really. You know, we could nobody could really play. But he was he was big into his prog. He got the ha- the Afghan coat, you know, the boots, the whole nine yards.
1: Hang on, he had an Afghan ho- coat in 1983.
2: He did, and he was about 17 at the time. And this caught a real dash in a, in <laughs> in ex mining towns on the North Derbyshire border. You know, the miners loved that <laughs> shit. <you know. laughs> so yeah and he said look he said, you've said got to listen to this he said, have a listen to this and he put script for a jester's tear on and I just heard that so here I am once more and that was it I was gone I thought what is this it's amazing because Genesis of course with which in my view very unfairly maligned and tagged with um, I'd got no real entry point at that, that stage with Genesis I'd got you know to me Genesis at that point I think this was probably I don't know Probably Duke period, you know, certainly the Supper's Ready, Foxtrot, all that stuff was way, way, you know, behind. And I hadn't got to that yet. So Marillion was really my entry point into prog rock and I worked back from there.
1: Because I remember hearing script for A Jester's Tear for the first time and it probably been out about a year because I was going to do a story on them for Kerrang! Right. For was just about to come out.
2: So that'd be 84. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but there was a delay on the album coming out. That's and they, right. And they set out on tour. With no album to with promote. no album. Yep. So I got sent script for a Jester's Tear to acquaint me with their music. And I'll be honest with you, I was appalled because I'm like, I'm like, I, to me, it was like um, hearing Kingdom Come, if you're a Led Zeppelin Right. It, it was just, I thought, but this is Peter Gabriel era selling England by the pound. Genesis. Sure. Um, I didn't even know if it was as good. I just could not get past the fact it was like a, to me, it was like a clone. Um, and I, 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 that was a black mark. Um, but you've got to make, remember, you were 16 when you heard script. I was 15 when I heard Selling England by the Pound. Sure. And I'd never heard anything like that before. I, mean, I only had about six albums in my collection, but that was truly a, 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 a revolutionary moment for me. I wasn't even sure I liked all of that album. Um, but then I went to see them, so I had to go to see them on the tour, and suddenly...
2: It made sense.
1: Yeah, and, and they, they couldn't have been more different to Genesis because I'd seen Genesis... While Peter Gabriel was still in them at some festival, and half of them were sitting down. You yeah. Know? Steve Hackett used to sit down and play guitar, and it was very kind of pastoral. And I mean, yeah, Gabriel would come out dressed as a sunflower or whatever it was—a fucking frog or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, which was, which was, or a fox, you know. Yeah, which yeah. Was, In a dress. Yeah, which, but for the time with David Bowie and and uh, the whole era of kind of very theatrical rock uh it wasn't a huge surprise but um it was it was sort of sitting down and listening carefully and, and it was it was really wonderful Marillion it felt like going to a motorhead concert or something
2: you know that is a really interesting point because i remember fish saying and i've been mocked mercilessly over the years for saying something similar Fish once said that Marillion were as much a punk band as anything else, which on the surface is a completely ridiculous thing to say, but it wasn't. The point he was making um, is your original prog rockers, and certainly Gen- Genesis, you know, all Charterhouse alumni, you know, these were very nice. The whiff of buggery. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah met, I mean, you know, in these lit- lit- litigious times, I'm not going to dwell on, you know, whether there, was, whether there was a whiff of it. Or whether there was actually the actuality—that's. Uh, <laughs> oh, got that one in early. You know, <laughs> that, ring the bell. That, that's uh, that's certainly uh, something we could perhaps discuss at a later stage. Um,
1: Public but, school boys and buggery. I, I heard that was going to be the title of one of your early books, and then it, you changed your mind.
2: I thought that was the uh, I thought that was the reading material that you got secreted under your pillow. I thought. You know, your bedtime dropping off, <laughs> dropping off to sleep um, thing. Um, Sorry, I interrupted. No, you. no, it's fine, it's fine. But you know, it, it. You said pastoral, and I think that's valid. But also, I think, and it's interesting, without sounding too pretentious and academic about it. God I've, forbid. Yeah, God forbid. But the Genesis era stuff was very, uh, very surreal. It's all fantasy. It's all, it's all quite divorced from the real world. Genesis are singing about people being fucked up and strung out on smack. Merillion, sorry, uh, you know. I was going to say yeah. what, what Str- Genesis album? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Hang on, yeah, what? yeah.
1: I obviously <laughs> missed an album. The,
2: just, you didn't get the, the box set with the extra stuff in then from the unreleased <laughs> session. But no, he knows. You know, you know, smack. It's a smack anthem um, yeah. that that fish that fish put together. You know, they talk about the war in Northern Ireland. Forgotten Sons. Forgotten Sons, exactly. Uh, I mean, there's also the massive class broadside of Garden Party. You know, which you see,
1: yeah, but you see, uh, you obviously were paying far more attention to the lyrics because I was about to say then there's garden party, which is all about punting on the can.
2: There you go then, biting social satire and oh, and, and, and oh, class mm. class irony. Oh
1: really? Yeah, oh, class yeah. irony. A class
2: irony. You can never have too much class irony, Michael, in these post Thatcherite times, I feel. Well,
1: okay, I, I okay, but uh, let's also remember at this point then that fish himself came from a fairly, I want to say privileged, I'm not going to say privileged, but more middle-class background. I I mean, he he nearly went to Sandhurst.
2: I didn't know that. I knew his dad uh, owned a small garage, you know. And
1: and was a... one of the brotherhood, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah, right.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, you, one lives and learns. As a collective, though, you know, the, they were as far removed from the the sort of public school ethos and the privileged background of Genesis, so they were they were very different in that regard. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, the Genesis thing's interesting anyway, because apart from that, you know, dum 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 dum, bit of supper's ready. I really can't actually hear that many direct comparisons, personally. Voice. Voice. Um, you th- do, you th- do you really think he sounds that? Fish sounds like Peter Gabriel.
1: When I first heard script for a jester's tear, to me it was Peter really Gabriel. yeah.
2: Again, you know, it's context. I guess. I mean, you'd obviously I
1: mean, he had that very high falsetto.
2: That's a fair one, um, but of course, that's not, you're never going to hear that again. No. <laughs> I mean, Steve Rothery apparently famously refused to alter the keys on any of the songs, you know, to accommodate Fish's voice. So um, obviously, that the faux. Gabrielisms, if you like, of fish they didn't last very long at all, did they? I'm
1: trying to think of some of the tracks on that album where he was had the really high. Full, quite a few of my I guess, but
2: well, script itself was you know had a couple of couple of sections in that where it was particularly like it... high. Oh, but... Yeah, the web as well. You know, oh, yeah. the web the web was high, but you know, from there until I don't know, just four years later when they did uh, clutching at straws you almost don't know it's the same singer.
1: You can really hear the Scottishness by then as well. Absolutely,
2: both uh, lyrically and in the voice.
1: I should mention that you yourself, your family is Scottish. Yeah, yeah I'm
2: from Alloway, moved to Nottingham in 1978. So, yeah, there's an affinity there, definitely.
1: So you're brothers of the kilt?
2: Uh, well, you
1: know. It's, uh, it, is I, that a sporran you're wearing, or are you just pleased to see me, Jock?
2: Badoom Tish, he's here all day, people try the gift shop just on your left (laughs) of the foyer on your way out um yeah the nationalism of fish i think is prevalent he he, he says himself he was really becoming awakened to politics at the time the way that scotland when in fact let's let's be honest not scotland but any part of the uk that wasn't england Mm. was being shit on from a great height in fact let me be more specific any part that wasn't the privileged um broker belt of england was being shit on at the time yeah. um, and so the embrace of of a progressive left scottish nationalism was 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 quite natural for him Apparently. And it's reflected. I mean, look at Slangevar on Clutching at Straws, you know. Some great, great social commentary on there. From the barbed wire at Flanders and Bilster Glen, from the Clyde that rusts in the tears of its broken man. I mean, that stuff's just fucking great. Yeah. You didn't get that sort of direct social commentary with the original Prog Giants of the 70s. You no, just didn't. No, you didn't.
1: And, and, I, and I, I think also by the time you get to Clutching at Straws, which for anybody that isn't as au fait with the details as we are, that was their fourth and last album with Fish.
2: Absolutely, and the best in my view.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I would probably agree with that, yeah, definitely. But I think by then, all comparisons to Genesis, um, all almost all connections to what I call Widdly Widdly Prog, I think were gone. Absolutely and I, and right. I think by now they were really their own Absolutely. entity. Yep. But... Um, But to this day, you know, if if The Guardian are going to write about Marillion or something, it'll still say something prog. Yeah. Original prog. Yeah. New prog. Yeah. Something prog. Yeah. And it's kind of a... I think probably less so these days, because prog, you know, so bad, it's good, guilty pleasures, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of, in recent years, assumed a a cachet that it hadn't had for decades. Yeah. but it's still a bit of a taint, isn't it? I mean, no one would say Radiohead were a progressive rock band. But for my generation, where progressive rock wasn't about musical mannerisms like that widdly, widdly keyboard um, or very kind of stylized, intricate musicianship, um, it, 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 it was more experimental. Right. It was called progressive rock because. It was progressing rock into new and previously uncharted territory. Sure. And so the first Pink Floyd album was Sid Barrett. That would be experimental, psychedelic. I mean, I know you hate the word Beatles, but Sergeant Pepper Pepper becomes the first, and it isn't the first, but becomes uh, regarded as the first conceptual experimental album. And from that comes Floyd, and from Floyd, and of course all the other influences—Dylan, Hendrix, everybody—comes yes, yep, the Barrettless Pink Floyd, which eventually makes Dark Side of the Moon. Sure, and I, 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 I can't think of say Dark Side of the Moon. To me, I, it would never have occurred. I bought that as a boy when it came out. I could not have. I would not have thought of that as prog rock. Sure. It was just album music. Yeah,
2: you know, I mean... <laughs> but
1: now we have prog rock. Yeah. So, so to finish my point, I think Radiohead, for example, are as prog rock as uh, Pink Floyd would have been in the early 70s or as Marillion would have been, say, around Misplaced Childhood, Clutching at Straws. Yeah,
2: couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more.
1: But can you imagine being with Tom York of Radiohead and saying, I, I love your band, I've always been a big prog rock fan?
2: Yeah, the guy would have a fit.
1: Because?
2: Snobbery, absolute snobbery. It's, I mean, look at Marillion now, to how many, 16, 17 albums down the line from... You know, and some
1: amazing
2: work. And some amazing work with Steve Hogarth and the diversity um, in those albums. I mean, I think it must be 16, 17 albums is, is done with Marillion now, must be. The, the diversity, the breadth across the span of those albums is just absolutely staggering. And, you know, I think it's fairly well established now, even though they've probably never admitted it openly. But Radiohead had been massively influenced by Marillion, you know?
1: Oh, interesting! Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. What makes you say that? Well,
2: there was you listen to some you've, you you listen to some of the, the 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 early mid early to mid nineties stuff like uh, of Marillion's like things like I don't know dot com. Radiation, so on and so forth. Brave, brave. Uh, yeah, brave absolutely, album. absolutely. Now, brave. That that's a weird one for me. It's one of my favourites. It's brilliant, but it's kind of doing two things simultaneously. It's kind of looking. It's kind of got a foot in the Clutching at Straws era, but then it's also facing very much forward to what the band had go on and do with with Steve Hogarth. And it's interesting because it was probably their th- was it third or fourth album with Steve. Yeah, um, where you might have expected an album that that sort of nature to have been the first thing they'd done exercising the old, starting to embrace the new. Um, fascinating album.
1: Uh, one of my favourites. I reviewed it at brilliant. the time. It's
2: brilliant. It's a masterpiece.
1: And I, I remember uh, trying to think of a way to sort of the last line of the review or something, trying to find a a way of sum, summing it up in one sentence. And I'm not saying I succeeded, but for me, it felt right. And I said, um, welcome to the bright side of the moon.
2: Nice.
1: Because I felt it had the same qualities as that record, but actually a little more. You know, mm. it wasn't quite as... Because Dark Side of the Moon, for me, is is almost funereal. You know, it's... I love it that it really is the dark yeah. side of the moon. But on Brave, which also has its uh, very dark, deep moments, there does feel, for me, uh, there is... There is a kind of bed of hope. There sure, is a, there is there is light. Yeah, there is light there, um, but it's not corny light where it's all oh, everything's wonderful. It's it's refracted. It's, Absolutely, yeah, and that made it very interesting. It
2: did, it did. I mean, the the end of the album when you obviously if you listen to it on CD, you can actually you can you can effectively have two completely different experiences. You can end it with suicide and death and gloom and despair, or you can end it. With with the with the glimmering refracted hope to which you earlier referred, depending on how you want to program the last couple of tracks, um, but you are right. Um, it is a masterpiece. Now I, I'm, I'm picturing people out there hearing Mick Wall comparing something by Marillion to Dark Side of the Moon, and the derision. Really? Yeah. Oh, the derision, the ridicule. Really? Oh yeah, like you didn't know that, you know? No, no, it's, no,
1: no. Seriously, to yeah. me, I think those those are excellent points. I I agree with those
2: <laughs> points, but I think Merillion inexplicably are surrounded by a snobbery, a disdain. There's an ignorance. Oh,
1: you mean disdain from the Pink Floyd and radio- yeah, I see yeah, what you're yeah, saying. yeah, yeah.
2: Sorry, not yeah. Um, and it, it's just ridiculous. But if you look at if you if you use nothing but your ears and your critical faculties. I don't understand how anybody can come out of the other end of Brave and not acclaim it as a masterpiece. Absolutely. I really don't. I really don't.
1: Well, there was, uh, by that point, I think the debate had already, you know, it, it wasn't going on anymore, decisions had been made. But I think early on...
2: I saw what you did there, good quote. It's from the web. Decisions
1: have oh, yeah. been made. <laughs> you picked up on oh, that. Right, I, that okay. was not delivered. Probably subconscious, I don't know. That may have been Hogarth that said this to me. I don't know. Someone said to me at some point, yeah, we had that decision about whether we keep the name Marillion. That's right, yeah. And uh, clearly the reasons for that were when Fish left, was forced to leave, whatever, um, they were at the height of their success. Yep. So it would feel like throwing out the baby with the bathwater if you didn't continue as Marillion. It's Mm -hmm. the same guys but a different singer. Just as Pink Floyd had done, just as Genesis had done, Um, but I don't know if it served them well because by the time you get to Brave, I think if that had been, say, the first album by a new band called, it doesn't matter, does it? Called uh, the, the the cardboard box. You know, people would be going cardboard. I love cardboard box. I love Radiohead.
2: Absolutely right. Absolutely right
1: um some years later but but they didn't of course they stayed with brilliant and i feel in a way they've been kind of nailed to that cross
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though they've clearly uh demonstrated time and time again that that, that you know they they're way beyond that at this point absolutely i mean afraid of sunlight that was a, a, a great album wasn't
2: it yeah you know that's a weird one for me There's some great tracks on it i think um uh, you thank know
1: thank you for thank Am I thinking of the right album in about sort of two thousand and seven, two thousand
2: and eight, two thousand and seven? Dates, 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 dates. Problems, Schmitz, problems, dates, mates. Whatever, pal. Um, Afraid of sunlight. Steve Rothery's favorite Marillion album, if I'm not mistaken. It's
1: the most. Uh, yeah.
2: I mean, it's. It, I think the opener of that. I think it, um, saw you walking on your velvet lawn. You know the, the O.J. Simpson um, allegory. I mean, what a fucking great track, a really great track. But then there's some soft stuff on there as well. You know, I thought, I don't, it's not a favourite of mine. I find it a little bit, I don't know, it's a bit, I find it a bit soft.
1: Now, being a northerner, are you saying soft <laughs> in the sense of soft, southern, shandy, drinking, wankers? Is that what you're saying?
2: Uh, no, no, not really. More, more. it's a bit I don't know. It's soft. It's not Holidays in Eden. I'm not going to say that. They're not clearly, you know, buckling to pressure from a label because they we weren't on a label at that point. You know, they're not going down the commercial prog rock route, uh, sorry, uh, pop route. And there's none of the bollocks that you got with uh, No One Can and Dry Land and all these drippy, oh, yeah. bland, you know. Which, how? Uh, that wasn't that from. No, uh, oh, that was Holidays in Eden, wasn't oh, was it? it? No I One can't... Can, I think. No One Can Take You Away from Me. I think that was Holidays in Eden. That
1: wasn't uh, Afraid of Sunlight.
2: Was it might have been. It I might have been. Say,
1: well, the, Isn't the, this telling that we don't know? Yeah, we've th- not had, we wouldn't be having this argument argument, this discussion this confusion about whether a track was on fugazi or clutching no, or the script. No. No, we
2: wouldn't but to be fair, we also wouldn't well I wouldn't be having this confusion if we're talking about fear um with Hogarth or yeah. some of the other great yeah. albums. I don't want to be that guy that's you know oh, everything with Fish was great, everything with Hogarth is shit because it's just it, it it's not it's not true and it's not fair. No,
1: it's not true. But to and get it's back not fair, to
2: get back to your original point though. Yes, frankly, it's bollocks. Um, the name has nailed them to a cross. I saw something as little as two or three years ago where they were t- there was a newspaper article that referred to Marillion frontman fish. I mean, Christ almighty, I yeah. looks at 30 years, 30? I don't know how long it is since well, it's, well, if ever it's you just see, mental.
1: If ever you see anything on fish that isn't in Classic Rock or people that would know, Prog Magazine or whatever it might be, you know, it's a broadsheet newspaper or a Mojo or something. Mm-hmm. They still will say Fish of Merillion. It's crazy. And 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 it's what ten, to, over thirty years. Eighty-eight
2: left, didn't they? Do the maths, as they say. Eighty-eight, ninety-eight. Yeah,
1: thirty-three years. Yeah, absolutely. Which is insane. It's fucking mental.
2: And when you consider See, Fish
1: wasn't even thirty-three <laughs> when he left the band, it
2: wasn't was he? It's mental. He did four albums with him. Mm. You know. And Steve Hogarth's done, what do we say, sixteen or whatever it is? I take your word. I don't
1: know. know.
2: It's it's an. I've done sixteen in total. I don't know, but he's done shitloads Mm. more—three or four times more than Fish did. You know, I think that's um, that's the point here.
1: Do you think? Do you think if they'd had a hit uh, on the scale of a Kaylee, that that might have just flipped it for them? Because I'm thinking again, say here of Genesis with Peter Gabriel—they never Genesis with Peter Gabriel never had a Kaylee. They had, I know what I like in your wardrobe, and I I bought that single, and I'm telling you now, it got to about number 27 in the charts. It was like the early Marillion singles, um, Market Square or uh, Punch and Judy or yeah, something, Garden you know.
2: Party, etc. Yeah, it
1: was it it, it it was the lower reaches of the chart. It wasn't. It got in the chart, and it would get them on top of the pops. It wasn't what you'd call a hit. Kaylee, the only reason Kaylee wasn't number one was there was a charity single. The, the, the That's right. Yeah. Um, Ger-
2: a, Jerry Marsden was it? Ferry across the Mersey was it? That so, yeah, handsome? something
1: to, for the ferry disaster. Yeah, 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 that
2: rings a vague bell.
1: Um, and but so okay, they had that enormous hit, and that and that literally gave their career takeoff.
2: Oh, they were just—they were probably the biggest band in Europe for about eighteen months, two years after
1: that, I would think. Merillion without fish never had that. Had they had it? So, you know, like when Genesis started having big hit singles.
2: With Phil Collins.
1: Yeah, it flipped. It completely flipped. Sure. So that this this current generation, as it was in the 80s, um, Peter, the Peter Gable thing was just ancient history didn't really... Because the people that were buying those yeah, Genesis records didn't buy Peter Gabriel. Yeah, it was Genesis. two
2: separate bands, effectively.
1: Well, I think with Hogarth, it's harder to separate... But at the same time, definitely two different bands. And some incredible work with Hogarth. But I saw them play live about 10... I'm going to say 10 years ago, something like that, in London. And um, uh, it was called the Town and Country Club. I don't know what it's called now. But, um, you know, a a stand-up venue, but big. Held about 1,500 people, 2,000 maybe. And... um, It went down brilliantly, fantastically, Uh, all Steve Hogarth albums. And then they came out for the encore, and they played Sugar Mice in the Rain.
2: With Hogarth on vocals? Yeah. Right, okay.
1: And it was a great version. But Harry, I'm I'm not exaggerating. There were grown men. Crying. Crying, standing around me. Believe it. The place, you know, it was a great gig, a really great responsive crowd and then they started to do sugar mice and it went to a whole other level and i remember standing there thinking god could you imagine if they had got if they were back together with fish tonight and they came on stage and fish went so here i am once more it would have i think the venue literally would have uprooted from the earth and spun into fucking orbit
2: <laughs> yeah um yeah, I. Uh, there's a caveat. There's going to be a but. I agree with you, but your point you were making about um, that g- generation of Genesis fans that came on board with Phil Collins and you know Gabriel who Gabriel Schmabrel, this old guy, whatever, and, you know, and didn't inve- didn't invest in in that era of the band. I think that's true of Marillion as well. You go on the message boards um, if you want to be an anorak. and you and Which you, you're not. Oh, no, absolutely no, not God. perish the thought no. Yeah. Uh, and you and you hear you there there is there's definitely a strand of people that are you know pro one one line up over the other, which I've always thought a little bit strange Isn't because that
1: just it, message board people though I don't
2: know, you know, I mean some people I've people i I definitely know genuine, bona fide real human beings who've come on board, never heard of fishier and Marillion. Their introduction to the band has been via Steve Hogarth. They've been committed to it. They've loved it. It's worked for them. They've then subsequently gone back and investigated the fish. Working thought, now nah, it doesn't work for me. I find that incredible. But, but these people ha- do exist. They but, are. But they do you walk say among investigated, us.
1: Investigated. Do you mean they picked up a copy of script and went, "Ooh, I don't like this"?
2: Um, well, without you know. Conducting a, a thorough interrogation of these people on an individual level in a subterranean cellar somewhere with various implements for extracting yeah, keywords: subterranean cellar. Don't know, mate. I don't.
1: Message board people. I think you have to you have to make allowances for because there's nothing to talk about if you don't take sides and and go. Oh no no no, fish was. Best. Oh no no no, Hogarth's oh best.
2: Yeah, there's an element of that certainly, but
1: I, I'm telling you that at the show I saw. They came on for the encore, and as soon as they did the opening tinkling calls to Sugar Mice, yep. we were on another fucking planet.
2: Totally get that. So, what are you saying then? Are you saying that there's a magic to the ear material yes. that's absent from the Hogarth material?
1: Um, I, I'm not going to say the material. Uh, I'm going to say the era, because um, the Hogarth material is fantastic. There's no, um, no question but the fish era and maybe it's the James Dean thing, you know, he made three films and died. So now everything he did was amazing. Um, there may be an element of that, um, probably is an element of that, but that original, I think with almost every band, you know, whether it's Metallica and their first four albums, uh, or uh, Guns N' Roses and their first, well, they've only done fucking three, haven't they? But, um, uh, uh With a lot of bands, King's X, Faith No More, Red Hot Chili Peppers, maybe not so much them, but there is this kind of element of, you know, those were the key Mm -hmm. building blocks from which everything comes. And I think um, uh, there is an enormous, I think, very deep, deep, Love and affection for the material. But, oh, but, but no question. But also, I think, because these are grown men reliving their youth.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I am that soldier, you and know. I, and
1: I think fish leaving was a trauma.
2: Oh, Christ, was it ever? Was yeah, was a trauma. Yeah, I cried.
1: I mean, what... what I was, absolutely did. It, it gutted like, me. It wasn't like by the time, uh, you know, Roger Waters walked out on Pink Floyd flashing V signs at them. It wasn't like you couldn't wait for the follow-up to the final cut, you know. I mean, the final cut, I think, is an extraordinary album, but um, it was already kind of a Roger Waters solo album, you know. So it was a bit like Chinese democracy. It kind of muddied the water. But imagine if after Dark Side or um, Wish You Were Here. I'm not even going to say The Wall. I'm going to say Dark Side, Wish You Were Here, uh, and Roger fucks off. And they get another guy in, and it's it's like it was when Gilmore did take over. It has all the hallmarks of Pink Floyd, but none of the depth, none of the substance, none of that thing that sent you insane about Dark Side and Wish You Were Here. Well, I t-
2: okay, I think I think in all modesty, I'm massively qualified to talk about this because I was that soldier. <laughs> I I have never ever. That's why you're here, my mate. Friend. I have never heard a band. Before or since, that had the effect and the impact on me when I first heard script for Justice Tear in Ashley Hooton's bedroom, in Spencer Avenue, in San Diego, Derbyshire, in nineteen eighty-three. <laughs> it absolutely blew my fucking mind. So, so, so no, so, let me
1: interject. So, if tonight I take you to some wonderful concert venue, I say I'm not going to tell you who's coming on tonight, Harry, but it's. Uh, I think you'll find it interesting. And the lights go down, and a spotlight hits a big Scottish fucking guy who goes, So here I am once more. And it's Marillion. Yeah, I'd
2: lose my shit. I would lose my shit. But let me flip that question around. If you said to me, OK, H, you've got a choice of two gigs tonight. <sighs> Controversial. We can go and see Fish era Marillion reunited for one night only, playing Fugazi in its entirety. Or we can go and see Steve Hogarth-era Marillion playing Fear in its entirety. Which one are you going to pick?
1: Why did you say Fugazi, though? Because that's the weakest of the four. Well, this is the point I'm making. Well, even how, how about th- Clutching at Straw?
2: Oh, well, that's probably my favourite Marillion album out of the 20.
1: So, so what's your favourite Hogarth-era album? Fear? Fear. Okay. It's a so, fucking so masterpiece. A, a fairer question yes, would be, Clutching at straws no. with fish, yeah, or fear with Steve Hogarth.
2: Yeah, okay, you clever bastard, you've got me. Yeah, it would be clutching at straws with fish. There you go. But a feel- game over,
1: <laughs> game over, my friend. No, I'm sorry. No, 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 checkmate.
2: I think the point I'm making is... It doesn't
1: it, denigrate Hogarth. No, it I'm just doesn't. saying there, there is something... There yeah, is. Ma- isn't it the magic that we all live for? Well, you
2: talk about chemistry. Now, that, now here's a thing, OK? Fish had a, a presence and a magnetism, and I'm not saying that Hogarth doesn't have it, but he's a very different guy. I mean, he, he, he comes on stage, and he reminds me more of Morrissey, than he do, than he you know, than he would do of anything that you would conventionally associate right. with a rock band, right. um, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I am just saying that's exactly how I see him, how I, how I how I feel. But when I saw them last with um, with Hogarth in Nottingham, which would have been I don't know twenty eighteen, maybe something like that, they opened with Gaza. Um, off Sounds That Can't Make. Mate, honestly, Christ. You know, what an absolute oh, yeah. juggernaut of no. a song. No. And you hear Hogarth presenting material like that, and you know, it's not even that Fish can't touch it, even though he couldn't. It's You're dealing with two complete, you know, it's apples and oranges. Well, when the comparisons say, only go so far.
1: When you say he couldn't, um, I think Fish is, ostensibly, he says it's his last album, the one that came out this time last year. The one that I can never say the title. Well Oh I
2: the German thing, a sorrow in the world or whatever Yeah, or but that's not what he
1: called it. it. He called it well, well there or you go, or whatever. There you go. Yeah. I think that's the only mistake he made with that record, calling it that. Because for me for me, that is comparable with anything Fish has ever done. I'm not saying it's Marillion doing Clutching at Straws because Marillion was not just fish. No, of course not. Whereas Weltschmerz or whatever it was. Um, probably Weltschmerz
2: I guess, with W's pronounced V sounds, aren't they, in German? I don't know, whatever. Um, uh,
1: for me, probably the album of the year last year. Not, mm-hmm. that, I, not that I get a lot of albums, but um, I just found it extraordinary work, an extraordinary work. Mm-hmm. And, um. So when you say you saw Marillion with Hogarth, and they did this thing. Fish couldn't touch it. I don't know. I I feel he's left us. He's left left behind a very very big market.
2: Yeah, I think the point of making is they've got the strengths. I mean, I would no more expect Steve Hogarth to be able to pull off Slangeval from clutching at straws. That's just, I mean that just that is ridiculous. Even contemplating that, you know, he just couldn't do it, and he shouldn't do it, and he wouldn't do it. How
1: about? heart of Lothian.
2: again I, I believe he has done it i think but that's just ridiculous it's ridiculous you know but i wouldn't expect to hear you know i think it'd be just as ridiculous to expect fish to try and say i don't know do cannibal surf bay for christ's sake right, which is right. you know yeah th- they're very different animals um
1: can I, can I go sorry go on go on
2: no they're just very different animals but but I think there's 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 more that connects. Surprisingly, I think there's more that connects them than divides them, because I think the thing that Fish has got in common with Hogarth, and if either of them are listening, they'll probably start pissing themselves and you know disagree vehemently, is they've both got a massive streak of humanity that runs through like a seam right through the best of their material. That's a good point. I, I think it's true. You know, Fish. Well, we don't we don't even need to talk in any depth about Fish, the famous heart on his sleeve guy. You know you the lyrics, not just in Clutching at Straws, but the earlier stuff where we talk about, his, you know, he's addressing drug addiction, he's addressing alienation and loneliness. All, all these
1: autobiographical. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yep, utterly autobiographical. Abs- well,
2: the whole album, Clutching at Straws, was yeah, yeah. effectively an audio autobiography.
1: And really so was Clutching at Straws. <coughs> absolutely.
2: But then Hogarth's strongest work, Marillion, has also been where he's comf- directly confronting issues you know, that that at the core are about humanity, either on the macro or the micro. And I think that's his strength. I mean, you listen to Fuck Everyone and Run. I mean, it's... Yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. And We Are the New Kings. Yeah, yeah. And some of those lyrics, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it the guy, honestly, the band, when they did that, you know, this was probably the 17th, 18th album. And for my money, that stands up very, very close to Clutching at Straws, you know. It really does. Do you know... It really, um, really does.
1: I, uh...
0: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Bear a terrible cross. Um... Yeah, because
1: each
2: isn't the other.
1: But somehow has to deal with it. Absolutely. Um, Fish, without Marillion has not had uh, anything like the career... No. He he did have with with Marillion and was extremely significant in helping them achieve. Um, But he hasn't even had the career that they have had without
2: him. Absolutely right.
1: I think he has made some wonderful records. But... Uh, you know, I, my feeling is Fish would get back with Marillion, even if it was just for one tour or one year or something. I think he'd do it in a heartbeat. Sure. Um. Oh, oh, well, he's retired now, but you know, I still think he'd do it.
2: They're not interested, though, are they?
1: Well, that half of them are, half of them aren't. I uh, actually posed this question to Mark Kelly. Right. That night I told you about, I saw Yeah, them. yeah.
2: I would have I, thought Mark would be the one least keen on doing it. Are you going to surprise me and tell me he was up for it?
1: Yes. All right. Okay. Um, I went to see them that night specifically. I went with someone from Universal Records who whispered in my ear and said, "If I could help make this happen, uh, I could be part of it." And so I went to see them that night, and they with Hogarth, and they were just fantastic. And I'm thinking all the way, I'm thinking, "This is this is it's like it's like it's like breaking up a marriage," you know. and and, and not an unhappy marriage a really nice happy marriage so actually why don't you just fuck off and leave them alone and then they came out and did sugar mice for the first encore encore and that was when i just went no no fish is the right move it doesn't have to be forever and 2015 was coming up and that would have been the 30th anniversary of Misplace. so we must be talking 2014 2013 something like that And uh, Mark doesn't live far from here, Harry, where we are right now in Oxfordshire. And so we met at a a little Thai restaurant in Wantage, which is a a market town a few miles from here. And um, we talked about it. And we got down to what would Steve Hogarth do for a year? And Mark was, Steve, I think, would be fine um now there's always been talk of solo records he has all sorts of things he'd love to do that aren't branded Marillion, sure. which I completely get um he said but I think there are a couple of people in the pan that just won't go for it now I can't tell you definitively and we had a great conversation I mean I was saying to him look take <clears throat> a year this is obviously before the pandemic you know you take a year you do an album Or you bring out the 30th anniversary Marillion uh, Misplaced Childhood and you do the box, the extra tracks, the demos, some new tracks, so two or three of those in, you know, the full nine yards. We'll do a book. We'll do a documentary for TV. We'll do a social media fucking – we'll make it really special. You'll earn a shit ton doing festivals all over Britain and Europe. And you'll be back doing two nights at Wembley instead of one night at the Town and Country. And it'll be amazing. And he was like, yeah, but, you know, Fish. I said, dude, Queen without Freddie, uh, I am Maiden with Bruce. You know, we live in the world of bands that hate each other. It, it's moved on. You, you don't even have to, Axl Rose with whoever the fuck takes the money to work with him. You do not have to even see the guy until the moment you walk on fucking stage. He has his own driver, his own bus, his own dressing room. You don't have to listen to problems, problems every day. <laughs> and I toured with Marillion and Fish, and it yeah, you know, it's a fucking handful in those days, probably still. Um, and he goes, yeah, but the voice has gone. I went, dude, Steven Tyler has a vocalist at the side of the stage. Oh, my Coverdale's doing that as well now, isn't he? Ozzy has done it. Everybody uses technology. I was talking to, a few years after this conversation with Mark, I was working with Neil Sean from Journey on what was going to be his memoir. It didn't pan out in the end. But um, I remember being with him and talking about the Eagles. And uh, we spent a lot of time together talking about loads of things and talking about technology, because they would just come off a tour with Def Leppard. And he was saying about all the technology Def Leppard use on stage. Because if you're going to reproduce hysteria and pyromania. And it, well, you know, ain't
2: doing that with two acoustic guitars, are you?
1: No, banks of vocals. Yeah, absolutely. Mutt yeah. Lang's layered sound, you know. And half
2: the national grid.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he goes, yeah, but every. every he, goes, he goes, listen, everybody. not No exceptions, everybody. And I said, trying to think of someone that would use vocals known for their when what even the eagles he went yeah of course the eagles i went even the eagles and Shock he went of horror. course yes. the, of course of course i was talking to francis rossi about this at the at the in last summer and he said the problem is if everybody does it and you don't you sound shit and you look shit <laughs> cuz i was saying can't That's you brilliant. just go out without any production You know, just go out like raw, quo, you know, get back to the roots. Like,
2: whisper it, musicians.
1: Yeah. And he went, of course we could, but we wouldn't sell any tickets. And everybody would go home saying, wow, they've really, they're not as good as they were last time, you know. Now, I'm not sure with quo if if that is necessarily true. But his point is, it's like saying, well, we won't use microphones anymore or lights. We'll just come on and... And you can fucking get your ears. Oh, chocolate. this is interesting. Okay. Yeah. Or, or electric guitars, you know, like.
2: You, you think this is just a matter of degree? Then do you You don't think there's a principle involved here? You don't think Not there's anymore. a lot? Li- you don't think there's a line?
1: Not anymore. I don't. All right. Okay. No, no, you mean as a as a as a commentator or as a fan?
2: No. Uh, well, either or either or both. I mean, you uh, know.
1: Well, as a commentator, this is where we are. Right. This is where we are. I yes. mean, certainly before the pandemic, and certainly afterwards. My wife and youngest daughter went to see JLS last week in Birmingham. Why? Because they are big fans. Oh, okay. Okay. yeah. (laughs) Why do you think, for fuck's sake? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, as is the common way, Molly's videoing it on her phone, and they're showing me the stuff the next day. Right. And all you can hear over the music is Linda screaming. Um, (laughs) But they're doing the whole thing, and I went, I'm looking, and like a fucking schmuck, I went, Where's the band? And they looked at me and went, What band? No band, it's JLS. And I thought, oh, they're doing it all to track. OK. Last night, sitting here bored, zap, zap on the TV, trying to find some bloody thing to watch. Ozzy Osbourne, Sky Arts. No, I I, I swerved that. I saw it. No, Madonna. Right. Uh, might have been the same channel, but it was Madonna Live 2019 into 2020 tour so literally just before the pandemic now me and madonna are exactly the same age so 2019 2020 she is 61 and she's doing this show in which she does a lot of sitting down occasionally she pulls pretty much every number she pulls her skirt up so you can see her thighs but the rest of it is all buttoned up she looks a bit porky um But mainly she looks really doddery. Really? Really doddery. But she's got a million dancers doing all the stuff that she used to be able to do. Totally get it. Totally get it. And then the next question came, where's the band? Hmm. Answer, there is no fucking band, you schmuck. No one's come here to see the band. They've come to see a theatrical production. So that's one extreme. Pull it over to Journey, Def Leppard, The Eagles... Um, and all of them that I talk to, they basically say we can't because we'd be the only ones and we will sound shit um, compared to all the others. And the amount of money they charge for tickets these days, Harry. I mean, I saw Journey with Def Leppard at the Forum in LA, two nights. The first night, I think Journey came on second. Second night, Leopard came on second. And uh, no one is there to hear a new album. No one is there to admire the musicianship. Neil said, we do what we call the Dirty Dozen, the 12 hits. Sure. That's it. Yeah. It's a jukebox. But the people in the audience, there was one couple in front of me with their kids, little kids, and they're singing along, don't stop believing, and all this. And they're having a fantastic time. But they've all paid about $200 a ticket. And that's before you get to the meet and greets, the VIPs. Metallica did the O2 in 2008. I'm there. I think a box was like two grand, you know. And uh, I'm not suggesting Metallica use technology, but I bet they fucking do. So as a fan, I think it would be a more interesting idea to go and see a real band play real music, warts and all. I remember talking to Kevin Shirley when he was doing the second Black Country Communion album. And it's got about 14 tracks on it. And I said, Kevin, you're completely missing a trick. If you want them to be like Bad Company or Led Zeppelin or that era that they're regular, that they're
2: associated with,
1: do eight tracks. Do a side one and a side two. Now you're talking. No, 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 no. So... The whole business is locked into where it is. So as a fan, no, of course not. But do I get it that that's where we are? In the same way that I get Spotify, I get streaming, I get the fact that I haven't walked into a record shop and bought an album probably since the last century.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So you, I guess what I'm saying is, no, is that would that have been the road I would want people to go down? No, but that is where we are. So that's what I'm saying.
2: That's fair enough. <clears throat> Excuse me. um I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm not. Christ, you what? Are you 61. I'm 54. You know, we're not kids. I'm you 63 know. now, Harry. Oh,
1: you hope. ain't 2019 anymore, mate. You mate. don't
2: look a day over 61. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking bastard. <laughs> and you, How
1: old are you? 54. Fucking hell. Yeah, I can't wait for
2: dead. it. Hey, Tish, he's here all all week. Until um, you rang me, I thought, fucking no, I thought he was dead. I just thought that paper round you'd had was <laughs> fucking brutal. I mean, why did your mum and dad make you sleep outside? I mean, Jesus, it's just wrong. It's wrong. Sleep
1: outside? You had it easy, mate. Oh, no, I had it. Oh, it's not going to work, is it? Anyway, yeah, no. carry on. back to the yeah,
2: point. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a 3 cord and the truth merchant. I think, you know, all the pretensions and the ideals and the snobbery that, you know, to once we all loftily aspired as, you know, purist passionate teenage music lovers and, you know nobody's nobody's trying to resurrect th- those particular tropes but i don't know you go and see some bands i remember seeing i saw white snake with coverdale at sheffield he'd got the scorpions and judas priests with him so this would have been 2005 i think something like that um and he and coverdale the rest i mean it was difficult to tell but I would, I reckon, seventy-five percent of the yeah. band was organic. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, there's usually effects pedals and so on, and there was obviously some sequencing going on. But you could, you know, the band seventy-five percent of that band were the real deal. They were actually playing real music. What they were, what they were doing with their hands was what was coming out of the speakers <laughs> in the moment. Coverdale, on the other hand, I was like, "Wow, how the fuck are you getting away with this?" Mm. And it was cleverly done because what he would do. You know, things like Soldier of Fortune, when yeah. it's all in, does all that really sexy, low, croony really register bollocks, mm. you know. Really hamming that up and milking it, you know, almost a cappella, you know, and it, it creates the illusion oh, God, the guy's still got it. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's got it in that register, <laughs> you know, he could do that register when he sat in his bath chair in a right. fucking nursing home. Right. But anything above Any middle C, just forget it. Absolutely, forget it. You know, you could hear, you could hear the pitch shifter coming in. You know, everything's being adjusted and manipulated. And that was two thousand and five. Oh yes,
1: yeah, so imagine where it is now.
2: Well, you've again. You know, it's
1: like AI these days. Yeah, you know, there's a fam- absolutely. famous clip when I was writing my meatloaf book in twenty seventeen. Um, so I think this was from the summer of twenty sixteen. Because uh, Meatloaf has collapsed on stage quite a few times in his career. And um, this was the, the most re- at the time, the most recent. And he has never been back on stage since. But if you go to YouTube now, you will find this clip of, he's in Canada, I think. And he literally is in the middle of of all things. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. (laughs) And he literally fucking tumbles over face first. irony, irony. He's flat out on the stage like this, Harry. Right. Unconscious. And people are rushing to help him. And all you can hear is, I would do anything (laughs) for love. Yes, baby. All the ad-libs and everything. And they're they're going... fantastic this, like, yeah yeah he's he's still singing he's dead on the stage yep. They thought he was dead he's dead but he's still singing
2: fantastic
1: axel rose if you go again go on youtube and look at any clip of axel i don't even not even this era the gnr lies era don't even not even this era but you know before um he finally did the the sensible thing and got slash and duff back in um, if you look at those things on YouTube, his voice is perfect. Perfect.
2: Too perfect.
1: Then look at a clip from the Use Your Illusion tour in 92, 93. His voice is shot to shit. So what had happened in the uh, 20 years since? And do you remember all those stories about he keeps disappearing? Yeah, Austin? yep. Cortisone injections. Cortisone injections. No, technology. Oh, okay. Now, apparently it was off getting oxygen and all this bollocks. He's all fucked up like that. But um, no, no, it was it was pure technology. right? Because he was singing Welcome to the Jungle. You know, all that, that yeah. strain on that voice. As a guy in his 20s, that was a strain. But a guy in his 50s? No chance. Who's overweight? Yeah, never uh, going to happen. And couldn't fucking hit those notes in 1993, let alone 2010. So technology has been with us a long, long time now. And it's so subtle that, you know, as soon as the song ends, you're going to be, oh, thank you. Or the bits where you go, come on, join in. That's real. But the actual singing, no. Nah. Or it's a bed. So uh, watching, um, was it Madonna? Yeah, I think it was this Madonna thing last night. Um, she was. Doing, I saw one song. It was Vogue, you know. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of moments where you could hear her really thin little voice in the live right. moment, but you could hear this perfect vocal underneath. Sure. It. And it was very obvious. Because also, there's no band, there's no backing singers. So, where's it all coming from? Ian Jeffrey, a proud Scotsman mm-hmm. like yourself, tour manager of ACDC in the days of Bon Scott. Uh, he said every night was like going to war because they hadn't they hadn't become that huge band yet in America nearly always opening for someone or wherever they went always having to go out and prove themselves. He said and that was a great thing about Bon and Angus and Malcolm. He said every night. He said they wouldn't always win, but every night they went out to fucking battle because it was rudimentary. You didn't have brilliant sound or. You're in a different room. You've got
2: to win that audience over.
1: And right up until the very, very end, just before he died, they were always supporting in America. He said, uh, and, bet- and after that, uh, he then was tour manager for Aussie, for Metallica, millions of people, right up to uh, when I did the ACDC book ten, eight, nine years ago. Uh, he was now tour manager for U2. And he said, I said, what's the difference? He said, it's really easy. He said, in the days with ACDC or Aussie or even Metallica in the 80s, he said, everybody had to be in position at the start of the show. Oh, the lights. Oh, God, the lights aren't working. You know, Uh, he said, and it was, if if it went well.
2: It it, It went really well. If
1: it went 70% well, you'd won, you know. He said, you too. He goes, they press a button. He goes, no, go and have a sit down. Have a cup of coffee. Yeah, 10.22. Oh, they'll be doing that number now. That's just shit. But that's where we are. I mean, I'm not
2: naive. Obviously, you know this goes on, but I just... I don't understand why people pay money to see it.
1: Well, 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 that's the irony, isn't it? That because these productions are so elaborate and very, very costly, they charge shit-tons of money for the tickets. And then their logic is... Well, you can't charge £200 a ticket if you don't put on an amazing, perfect show. And then you go, but if you didn't have to spend all that money on the production, maybe we could go... Oh, no. You could charge £10 a ticket. <laughs> I'm fucking doing that way. Whoever went back to charging less? Nobody. Never happened. <clears throat> Never happened. But it means that, say, the Stones, who have all the technology in the world, if they put up a 60-day tour of America... On the production office wall, I've been told, uh, it'll have all the dates and the first sort of 32 will all be in red. Say they're doing 60 shows. The first 32 are all in red because they lose money all the way until they get to show 33.
2: And that's when payday happens. And that's when... They're in the that, black. They that, recoup the Because cost. they've recouped the cost yeah. of the
1: production and, and the travelling and the staff and the crew. Yeah. yeah. Well, gone are the days. Let's let's put the show on here, kids. <laughs> yeah, it's bollocks.
2: I mean, I, I don't know if it's pressing or not. I suppose it can't be because it's in the past. But I remember about 1990, I think it was. A guy I used to see at a rock club um, in Nottingham. He was really big into. I mean, it wasn't insane at this point. You know, the Norwegian black metalers weren't burning down churches and sacrificing each other. But that scene was starting to bubble up. Right. You know, the metal was getting more extreme. Metalers could open. so this guy's really into this sort of shit. Um, I remember saying to him, "What is it that appeals to you about it?" I said, "Is it the brutality?" He said, "Well, you know what? Weirdly enough." He says, it's the musicality. Now, it's easy to laugh at that, you know, because you think to yourself, you know, if, you know when, when this stuff comes out, you'd never, when it first came out, none of us had heard anything like it. You know, you've got someone's going... And off at the top, it's...
1: i that. So for some, I can, I can name that too.
2: Absolutely, and then the fucking logos. I mean, can you even read the logos? Like, <laughs> so get a get a bunch of sticks, throw them on the floor, click. There's the band's logo. I digress. So anyway, so it was the musicality. Apparently, so we get talking about it. Um, and it's you know it's the speed it's to this it's to that and the other you know and the, the Mixolydian mode and the yada yada fucking yada. Um, so I assumed that this guy was a music lover, not just a metalhead. Right. Turns out no, he was just a metalhead, just not particularly narrow minded, just had no no interest or any exposure in seeing anything else. Now I'd just been blown out by a girl I was dating, and you're gonna I know you're gonna rip the piss now. Um, I'd got two tickets to see Don Giovanni at Nottingham's Theatre Royal. So I said to this guy, I said, fancy, fancy coming to the opera. The minute it was out of my mouth, I thought, I'm just asking, you know, this six foot bearded grizzled metalhead.
1: If he'd like to go to the opera with you. Yeah. This perhaps I- a little supper afterwards. Uh, candlelight.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, if, if, uh, we will only hold hands. You know, it's a first, <laughs> first day. It's a first day. I will meet your parents before I pick you up. You know what the rule is as well? What's that? Tits first. Uh, absolutely. Well, he wasn't common. Obviously, you know, top half only, initially. Um, sounded weird as fuck. He laughed. But he said, do you know what? He said, because it was it was, a, it was, about, probably still, it's about 150-yard walk from where the from the rock and metal club in Nottingham was in those days. He said, yeah, let's do it for the lols. I said, well, he we didn't say lols. Nobody said lols in he, the 90s. Was he...
1: Opera Curious. Uh,
2: hey, the guy, to be honest, the guy was musically curious. He'd grown up in this weird house where, I don't know what the, his parents' gig was, it was some sort of weird fundamentalist set where any music at all was just verboten. Oh, right. So they had no TV, right. they had no record player, they had, right. you know, nothing. Right. And he'd heard all this Hence stuff. his
1: need for the human touch. I th-
2: hey, I saw what you did there, boom, boom. He's still here, folks, all week, sadly. Tickets are declining, though. <laughs> uh, Take your time. Phone no, up tomorrow. There'll be there'll be there'll be some I, left.
1: I'm all for male companionship.
2: As I, as I, <laughs> I think. That's very open-minded of you, but realistically, it's something you should be discussing with Mrs. Wall, I think.
1: Just out of courtesy,
2: before you you put it out on the air, but hey, what do I know?
1: Sorry, I I keep interrupting.
2: Yeah, so we went to the opera anyway, and the thing that blew this guy's mind was the fact that, and I hadn't even really thought about it, because I'd grown up with all sorts of music. I was really lucky. I was the opposite of this guy. My old man exposed me to fucking everything. Hank Williams, Mill Haggard, all really? oh, country and western in Scotland in the seventies oh, no, was a fucking course. religion, man. You know, massive.
1: M- my father was a country and western. There you go. In Scotland. There in you a, go. In the
2: 50s. Of course, I'm going to telling me this, so you know the sort of gig I'm talking about. So, but what blew this guy's mind? The fact that it was completely acoustic. Now, it not a thought I'd ever really oh, consciously articulate? Right, yeah. Right. He said, the, he said, fuck, mate. He said, where's the? There's no amps. Where's the desk? I said, there isn't any. None of this. This is all organic. Yeah, yeah. He said, they're actually doing. This shit, he says, I can hear her. and We were up in the gods, you know. I couldn't spring <laughs> for the big books tickets in those days. He said, She's fucking incredible. He didn't particularly care for the music, you but know, the experience. but the experience blew his mind. He never knew that live music could be like that. Right. You know, you've got it, you've got an orchestra there. Um, there's the cellos, there's your upper strings, there's your brass, there's your woodwinds. All these people are playing a real instrument. And you can feel it. You can feel that. The air is moving, yeah, you know, you, the, yeah. the acoustic, you can hear the whole thing. And over the top of it, you've got your sopranos, your mezzos, your tenors and your basses using nothing but technique and their human body to project those vocals right to the back of the hole. Blew his mind. Yeah. He thought it was fucking incredible. Um And it is incredible, and it isn't going to be, I'm not going to finish on some kind of snob point, oh, that's like proper art, man, and all this other stuff is shit, it isn't. Kids go and love this stuff that you've talked about, it's a production, it's all singing, it's all dancing, it's glitz, it's lights, it's this, it's the other, it has its place, it has its value. I'm not here to say, what you like is shit, what I like is art, man. But what I'm saying is, I think for people like us for, of our generation that grew up naturally on organic yeah. music, if you like, those days are over. And if that's your bag, you're going to need to start looking into other genres, you know, maybe go to a jazz club mm. where you'll get a pick-up, you know, bebop yeah, yeah. band on, and they're, pl- they're knocking that shit out of the park. Here, now,
1: here, here's my hope, and it's a slender hope, because I don't think, the good old days are ever coming back in terms of... No, they of are gone. The, the, ...the rock scene. They are over. Uh, my son is nearly 16. I bought him his first electric guitar in September. Within days, he'd learned the riff to Highway to Hell and um, Caroline by Quo and a few others. Smoke on the Water, surely. Yeah, uh, some Queen things and various things. And he's he's really got an aptitude. You know, As you saw, he's much taller than me. He's got big hands very weird to hear da-na-na, da-na-na. what you know um but also in his room fortress room he's got endless devices computers mm-hmm. iPads screens so when i was his age if i'd had an electric guitar that would have been everything that would have been sure. the, the only <laughs> yeah, thing yeah absolutely and everything yeah cuz Telly was three channels of bollocks, except now and again, and ended at 11. I, I, so I I didn't play, but I'd be in my room playing records. Yep. Um, or if I'd played, it would have been guitar as well. Or yeah, whatever. me
2: too, absolutely.
1: And I think those days, sadly, are gone for most I
2: kids. think they absolutely are, but I don't think it's just technology as well. I mean, you look at schools today. Unless you're a kid going to a posh school, yeah, um, you ain't even going to see a musical instrument.
1: So... I was going to say, I think whenever there is a, a, a shift so far to one extreme, it's almost like nature will force little pockets of the opposite to come forth. But I don't think it will be like it used to be where it was the main thing. I think it will be in opposition to what the main thing is. But I've got to pick up on what you just said. So, posh schools. So are you suggesting then that we could be in for a new revolution of progressive rock <laughs> from the posh boys, getting back to Genesis and Charterhouse. Well, you know what? That 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 is actually poor, poor an... Pink Floyd coming from Cambridge. No,
2: that is an interesting question, and I really don't know. I'd need to do a bit of research, but I suspect yes, and I'll tell you why I think yes. What's the most proletarian? Pastime in Britain, traditionally the most proletarian pastime, it's football. Football, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely football. There is nothing more proletarian than football. Nothing. I was amazed to discover just how many of the Premiership went to public school, fee-paying boys. Really? Don't get me wrong. Let's not overstate it. Not the majority. Not even close to the majority. Not even a sign. Not even a big chunk but a much bigger chunk well, than at any point previously.
1: I, I know Frank Lampard was privately educated. Pa- Patrick Bamford Leeds. Of Leeds yeah, right now. There's yeah. another one, you yeah.
2: know. There's so these things and you look at um you look at I did a bit of research on this. You look at public school curriculums now. And it's almost as if, well, hang on a minute, you know, that is a viable career. You can make an absolute killing Absolutely. to last you a lifetime oh, and, yeah. and be done with your trotters up to quote Re- Danny Dyer, at 30. at thirty. Mm. So now the public schools are embracing it. Once upon a time it may money than in rugby. Uh, exactly, exactly. As you know yourself, at one point, you know, um, rugby's the positive the gentleman's game, soccer was <laughs> soccer was for hooligans, you know, wankers. <laughs> Um, but, but actually, I, I don't even think it's it, it's almost a rever- it's, it's a re- it's a reversal of proletarianisation, if you like. Music and sport are being colonised and taken over by the middle class. So your average football fan is being priced out of of trying to get a, a oh, yeah. season ticket, Forget you know. Um, and now they're encroaching into into music because where's where's music in state schools? I want my granddaughters to be able to go to school and at least one lesson a week see a fucking cello and hear a cello and have the option to decide i really want to have a crack at that Mm. or you know what no i don't i did but they they haven't got they're just not getting it Uh,
1: we mentioned radiohead yeah uh, who also come from this part of the world yep they all went to private school there you go
2: yeah there you go there you go and And, and
1: thank god because they're clearly educated intelligent people who make Absolutely. Educated, yeah. intelligent and that's, music. And
2: that's great. But where's the rest of it coming from? You look at all the sort of stuff that traditionally kicked off rock and roll. Mm. You know, mm. the whole revolution in the head, to mm. quote Ian MacDonald. The Beatles weren't from Eton. You know, no. the Stones. Well, they were Irish. Really, yeah. They were McCartney. The Stones weren't from Harrow. No. You know, this was music of the streets. That's what gave it its edge. And of course, let's, you know, let's not do that thing of obliterating, you know, Black history, the whole thing would not even have existed yeah. without black slaves, you know? From the chance in the cotton fields after emancipation to Bo Diddley to the to the folk roots to jazz, you know, that all this thing came from the most downtrodden and most oppressed elements of humanity. Well, now it's fucking middle class schoolboys tossing this stuff out. I mean, Jesus man, mm. rock and roll, eh? <laughs> the people's revolution, my arse.
1: And on that bombshell, I'm going to thank Harry. We're going to have you uh, as a guest on another pod. Oh, sorry, guys. And I'm sure this dialogue will continue. Cheers, Mick.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
1: How do I stuff this, Fern?